the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, my friends and colleagues. Today we're going to talk about a subject that I know that everybody's interested in, money. Um, confusion after the debates, um, stink economy. There's a good chance that your borrower or your customer might be delinquent in paying you, and you have to pay your bills. So you could file a lawsuit and get a judgment against the customer. But do you have a plan on how you are going to turn that judgment into money? Lots of people out there don't understand how the legal system works, and they think that they could sue somebody to get payment but or for damages, but that doesn't mean that you're going to win the suit. You need a powerful attorney that really knows the system. So our guest today is creditor's rights lawyer, Ronald R. Cohn. Ron is a Los Angeles lawyer who has limited his law practice to getting lenders and businesses paid money owed to them on business debts for over 30 years. And he's agreed to come on the program today to give you some really useful, practical, real-world information about how to get paid, maybe some hope if you're frustrated. Some of Ron's real-life stories are funny and entertaining, and he's going to share them today. So I think you're going to want to listen, and I welcome you, Ron. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Cindy. I'm very happy to be here. So why don't you talk a little bit about your law practice for us so people understand. You have to under- do know that a lot of laymen who aren't exactly business to business people, they don't understand the law, they think that, you know, if they sign some kind of contract or an engagement that, you know, this guarantees that they're going to get paid. But why don't you talk a little bit about that from your point of view? I sure will. Thank you, Cindy. First of all, my law practice. I help lenders and businesses get paid the money that they are owed by their business customers when those customers fail to pay what they owe. The, the debt could be for anything. It could be an unpaid loan. It could be uh, a bill for unpaid goods. It could be for services that were provided that weren't paid for. I file lawsuits, try the case to the judge or the jury to judgment, and then attempt and try to get the client paid uh, after judgment's entered so that the judgment is satisfied. Okay. Well, I mean, and, I, and a lot of people think that's easier said than done. So tell us a little bit about what your topic's going to be today. Yeah. And, Cindy, the title of my presentation today is After the Gavel Falls, How to Convert Your Judgment into Money. As I said, I file lawsuits for my clients. I try cases for them in court. And I do a lot of other things, too. But today I'm going to limit my comments to just one topic. After the trial's over and after you've already won, that is to say you've gotten a judgment that says you, you won in court, after you've done those things, how do you get paid? Well, I'm going to tell you what works in the real world, Cindy, to, to get paid, and I'll also share with you and with the audience what doesn't work so well to keep you out of trouble and to save you from wasting your time and your valuable money. Well, I think that's that's great. It sounds intriguing. I think everybody's going to be... Um, interested in hearing about it, but why don't you describe for the listeners what a creditor is and um, what creditors' rights attorneys do? Sure. It's really very simple. A creditor is simply the lender or the business that's owed money from a borrower or a customer who hasn't paid as agreed. The non-paying 
delinquent or defaulting party is called the debtor. A creditor's rights lawyer like me represents the creditor and gets his creditor client paid as allowed by law. Okay, and doesn't the trial itself get the bank or other lenders or businesses paid? I think that's what people don't understand. Why, you know, they, they, I think people think that if you go to trial, obviously the chances are good that, you know, it's a win and they're going to get paid, so. Well, unfortunately, that's a common misconception. Uh, and, and this is where people's understanding is not accurate. At trial, the jury, if there is one, or the judge, because you can also try cases just to the court without a jury, uh, decides only how, uh, the rights of the parties, how much money is owed and who owes it and to whom the money should be paid. Most people know from watching TV and, and, and movies and reading books and listening even to the radio, they understand the basic idea of a trial. You have people come into the courtroom, one side is the plaintiff or the, the party that's doing the suing, the other side is the defendant at the other table that's resisting the claims of the plaintiff. Uh, the, the unpaid uh, lender or business sues the delinquent borrower or customer, and the judge or jury then decides the case, and a final decision is made, as I explained, about who owes money to whom and how much by either the judge or the jury. This final decision is called the judgment. But there's no requirement, and this may surprise a lot of people in the audience, Cindy, there's no requirement that the judgment once it's entered, actually be paid, and that payment actually be made. In fact, just getting a favorable judgment in court oftentimes is only the beginning. After a lender or a business wins in court by getting this judgment, as I've described it, against the defendant, they still have to collect that judgment. In other words, it's what happens after the trial, or as we say, after the gavel falls, that most of the real work in getting paid often actually takes place. And this is where a lawyer who is knowledgeable in the law of judgment enforcement is most important because it is in this process, Cindy, of, of judgment enforcement that the paper judgment is converted into something valuable like actual money. And after all, that is the reason you filed suit in the first place, money. Well, there is a possibility, though, that the, you know, that there is no money to be collected. I mean, isn't there a situation where, you know, a business can, you, you don't really know what the assets are, they don't have assets at all? Isn't that a situation? Yes, of course. There are situations where uh, you sue somebody and they're just plain judgment-proof. In fact, I was going to discuss that a little bit later, but I can, I, can, I can discuss it a bit now. Certainly, there are cases where someone is just plain flat on his back, destitute, has no money, and simply can't respond. I've seen cases where, uh, and it's, it's actually sad, even though I represent creditors, I've seen situations, Cindy, where someone who owes money um, ends up uh, destitute, sometimes having to be taken in by relatives, other times living in some room somewhere in, in uh, out in California here, perhaps up in the desert where things are cheaper. Uh, lucky if they get a Social Security check. Uh, in these cases, uh, you're right. The, the judgment in that case will be probably uh, most likely uncollectible, and there, there may be little recourse in that situation. But there are many other situations where you, you can recover. Good, good transition. And why don't you give us, you know, some examples, encouraging ways to enforce a judgment. <laughs> I'd be happy to. Okay. So some of these stories are, are, are uh, they're all true and they're, they're remarkably entertaining. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one uh, method by which we uh, collect judgments. It's called conducting a debtor examination. Now, this takes place, as I said before, after the judgment's entered, and we will assume at this point that we've not been able to locate any, any assets in the name of the judgment debtor. The client, for whatever reason, doesn't know of any, 
And so we're stuck with our judgment and no apparent way to enforce it. What do you do next? Well, under this particular technique of the judgment uh, of the debtor examination, um, well, let me give you an example. I had one case where a defendant, I'll, I'll call him Joe, that, that's not his real name, but I'll call him that, he had breached his contract with my lender client to repay a, a very large loan of several hundred thousand dollars. Now, at trial, I was successful and was able to obtain a large judgment against Joe, but the client did not know of any assets that Joe might have owned, and certainly Joe wasn't going to volunteer any information. So the problem was, was obvious and apparent. How was the client going to get paid in this situation? Well, each case is a little different. I analyzed the situation, and here I decided that conducting a debtor examination was the way to go. Now, here's, here's how this works. I obtained an order from the court that ordered Joe into court, and also I served him with a subpoena, forcing him to produce all of his financial records. That means his check register, his checkbook, his accounts receivable, subsidiary, and uh, ledger, all, everything that everything he would have that would indicate a flow of payment uh, that, that, that exists in, in law or, or, or exists in the world of business, we subpoenaed. He came in with uh, a couple of boxes worth of stuff, canceled checks going back several years, and the works. Uh, we, we, we had him uh, come into the, the examination room, and under the law, once he's personally served with the order and the subpoena, he's, he's out of options. He has to appear. If he doesn't, there can be a bench warrant issued for his arrest. And I've, I've had cases where uh, somebody who served with one of these orders uh, doesn't appear. There's a bench warrant issued, and months later, uh, on some traffic stop, uh, the police run a check, and they find the warrant. He's taken into custody. So... It's, they don't fool around. You, 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 ha you have to comply with the uh, order to appear. Now, once he's served, he, he shows up in, in, in court uh, himself with his financial records that's subpoenaed, and he's required by law to answer under oath. He's administered an oath, so he has to testify just as if he were in an open court in front of a judge and jury, answer questions about his financial condition. I ask him about his assets, about his liabilities, and about any transfers of his property that he may have made. And I think we, we, I'll, I'll discuss this transfer issue later. But, but right now, the, the scope of the examination I want to make clear. It, it's, it's very pervasive, and you can ask anything about his business life, anything he's done. I also made sure that a court reporter was present to take down all of Joe's testimony. Uh, and we then moved on from there. When Joe showed up in court, he was required to tell me during an examination process about his finances. Now, as it turned out, the client was right. They, they had not been able to find any assets Cindy on this guy at all, nothing. He appeared to be a blank slate. But as I went through his records and I went through his check register, it got interesting. I found that he had been regularly depositing into his checking account large checks from some in, unknown individual, some third party, for several months. Now, during close questioning, because my curiosity, of course, was piqued by all these deposits, I found out that a, a third party, somebody else, owed Joe a lot of money, and that these deposits that I was seeing in the checkbook, that these were payments made by that person to Joe. Joe held a, a written promise to pay, what we call in the law a promissory note, uh, the same note you usually sign when you borrow money to, to buy your house, for example. Uh, he held a promissory note, which was secured by real estate, and that is a valuable asset. Now, here's what happened next. You have to understand how the examination is conducted at this point. The, the debtor examination is conducted in an empty jury room or some, some other similar place that's not being currently used by the court. Uh, it's not conducted in front of a sitting judge. 
as soon as I had Joe's uh, admission about this money he was getting, and I had the records to prove it, I then excused myself, and I went ne- next door to the assigned courtroom where the judge was actually located. I explained the situation to the judge and what the judgment debtor had told me. I asked the judge for what's called a turnover order, which would require Joe to endorse the note and then hand it over to my client, the creditor. The judge complied with my request and ordered Joe to endorse the note, that is to sign it on the back, and make it negotiable, and to turn it, that is to say, hand it over to my client. Cindy, you should have seen the look on Joe's face when the Joe told him to sign the note over to my client and then to deliver it. He was one beaten down guy. He knew there was nothing he could do and that the day of reckoning had come. The result, my client was, the client's judgment was paid from that note because what you do is you, you contact the, the payor, the obligor, the person making all these payments, and you show them a copy of the, of the turnover order, and they will pay your client, my, my client, from that point on until the judgment is satisfied. Now, under this powerful tool, you can also obtain other things. You can get money. You can get expensive jewelry, accounts receivable, all kinds of property by this method. And In fact, you can literally, quite literal, literally, require the debtor to empty his pockets and to put the contents of his pockets right there on the examination room table or an open court if necessary, if, that, if it comes to it. I, I have done that. And if there's excessive amounts of cash, uh, I will ask the judge for another turnover order, and that cash goes to the client to help satisfy the judgment. So the, the mm-hmm. lesson here is that when a person owes you money, and you got a judgment against him, Cindy, but he's, he's claiming he can't pay, he's got financial problems, he doesn't have any money, you can use this procedure to find out the truth because it's a one-way uh, view into all of his financial dealings, all the transfers he's made, and all of the money he's making, and all everything he's spending, and his entire business picture. Oh, and one other thing I should point out at this point. If Joe decides to lie under oath about his assets, he faces contempt of court, and that can be jail time. Like I said, this was a powerful method of proceeding. Well, we love that. We have to take a commercial break, and I hope people, I hope that Ron has piqued everybody's interest and attention. I know that there's a lot of people that are frustrated because they can't collect. So let's um, stand by, and we'll have more with Ron Cohn after this commercial break. which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Popeye Con! Everybody, 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 everybody. 
Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. We're back and we're talking about collecting money. And um, if you haven't heard the first segment, you should go back and listen because creditor's rights lawyer Ronald R. Cohn is giving us some really valuable information. And it's kind of like if you have – it's like having a bank account that you didn't know existed, but it's somebody else's and they owe it to you. And it sounds to me like you don't want to have Ron working against you if there's money to be collected. So you were talking about the process a little bit in the first sec- segment, Ron, um, and you were talking about, you know, different stories, different approaches, and um, now you're going to talk about something called the keeper? Yeah, that's exactly correct. Now, this is a great collection method, and ju- just to remind the audience where we are, if somebody tuned in, uh, we're talking about how to get paid on judgments uh, if you've already won, if you won in court and got your judgment but are finding it difficult to actually convert that judgment into money, that's what this discussion is about. And we talked a moment ago about debtor examinations where you drag the uh, <clears throat> judgment debtor into court uh, to to discuss his, uh, his assets, liabilities, and transfers of property, and we went through some examples there. The, ne- the, the next thing I want to talk about is without doubt one of the most powerful and uh, incredible methods of getting paid that exist in the law. Now, this is a fantastic collection tool where the person who owes the money is a retail establishment, a liquor store, a grocery store, a department store, anything or any place where there's a cash register. This will not work very well when you have just an office someplace in a, in a building, some kind of a real estate company or something like that. Uh, this, this is designed for places that are retail establishments uh, and where you obtain a judgment against one and you're looking for a way to collect. Now, the following is my favorite example. This took place a few years ago, but it is the high point, or I guess from the debtor's point of view, the low point in collection stories. My creditor client in this story had performed some valuable services for a bowling alley, but the bowling alley people refused to pay my client. They didn't have any problem with the work done. My client had gone to a great deal of effort to fix the the alley, and they were, they were working on some other things inside the, the alley. They had no problems. They simply decided that they weren't going to pay. They wanted to keep the services and basically thumb their nose at uh, my creditor uh, client. They took a, a sort of come-and-get-it-if-you-can attitude and just blew the client off. Uh, my client tried to resolve the matter uh, personally. Uh, they were meet, met with derision, uh, and, uh, and, and they were quite rude, and so they, they were, were not going to, to pay. Uh, these, after I got involved in the, in, in, in this part of the case, uh, they were the most, these, these bowling alley people, the most arrogant, the most nasty people I'd, I'd ever met, and I, I think that's probably true all the way through today. Uh, so the client had a real problem. How is this, my client, the creditor, going to get paid from these nasty folks who own the bowling alley? Uh, I decided the best way to go here after conducting some, some uh, analysis of the surrounding circumstances, I decided the best way to go was to employ certain county personnel known as keepers to get this money. Now, keepers are, they, they work for the county, and they are authorized by law to sit at the cash register, and what they do is they intercept all the payments that are made from customers of the store as those customers make their purchases. The keeper only allows cash sales, and then the keeper keeps, which is where the word comes from, 
keeps the money from those purchases, and then when they leave with their little box full of money, they then pay that money over to uh, my client, and that money is applied against the judgment. Now, in, in this bowling alley case, <clears throat> here, here's the background. The, the bowling alley was not located in, in Los Angeles City proper. It was located in a smaller community uh, about 100 miles out of town, and there was limited things to do for the, the, local, uh, the local folks in terms of entertainment. Uh, we we checked, did some checking, and we found out that this bowling alley was one of the main places that people went to on payday uh, to have fun. They'd go there because the bowling alley had a bar. Uh, they'd go there and get drinks, and they would socialize, and, of course, they would also go to the, the, uh, the desk to rent shoes and other equipment to do the actual bowling. And that's where the, 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 the money changed hands. So we found out where the, what the local payday was, and we timed it correctly, and we sent in two keepers into this bowling alley on the busiest day of the month. We, we found a payday, I think it was the 15th of the month, that fell on a Friday. And one of the keepers was the, dispatched to the desk. That's where you, you pay to get your, your bowling shoes, and they give you, they assign you a lane, and you, you pay money there. And the other guy, the other keeper, went to the bar. And they, they, what they do is they set up their chairs, they set up their tables, and they sit there with their collection boxes, and they, they sit there, and they, they insist on with their hands held out to take all the cash proceeds coming in to the desk and the bar. Now, I can tell you that from the, the retail business owner's point of view, having a keeper come into your, your retail store and sit there is, is terrible PR and makes a horrible impression on, on your customers. The judgment debtor only wants one thing at that point, Cindy, and that's get the keeper out of my place. I don't ever want to see you again. And the way, the way they have to do that is they have to make arrangements with the creditor. The, creditor, the, the, um, uh, the, the keepers obviously are not going to listen to the judgment debtor. They're there to collect the money. Well, in this example, this is exactly what happened. Uh, the, the owner saw what was going on, and once they saw that, the tables, they realized, were instantly turned. These formerly uh, arrogant, belligerent debtors who were never going to pay, th- it was they who got on the phone to my client begging him to take their money just to get the keepers out of the business and to leave them alone. Believe me, keepers in the right situation are tremendously powerful, and our client got paid as a result of the keepers having been sent in there. It's um, it's really great law enforcement, and um, you know, it's uh, it's like guardian angel keepers. Sometimes people, you know, there are there are bad kind of keepers too, the kinds that we see on Boardwalk Empire, right? But these are good keepers, and um, these, I think these that are, these are government county officials, so they 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 don't have a whole lot to do in terms of discretion. Their their jobs to go in, sit there, and collect the money, and there are no nonsense kind of people, and they they get the job done. And it's amazing that the judgment, you know, allows you to have the authority to do that, and um, I can't think of a better way to humiliate somebody that owes you money. Yeah, like I said, um, the, the re- retail owners do not want uh, uh, keepers inside of their premises. It just conveys a, a terrible message and impression. And uh, once this happens, um, short of closing their stores down, uh, they don't have a whole lot of choice but to tr- get on the phone and, and, and beg my client uh, to, to, be, to, to, to allow them to pay them. It's, it, it can be very, very powerful. We love that. And now you're going to talk a little bit about liens and what a judgment lien is. Yeah, yeah. This this is the uh, the third thing we can talk about. Uh, this this one I happen to to like a lot. Uh, it, it it's it's a, a technique which is one of the easiest and one of the, the least expensive ways to collect on a judgment. 
uh, although it can take some time, as I'll, I'll describe in a couple of minutes. What you do is you create what's called a judgment lien on any real property or even personal property, meaning, meaning equipment and that sort of thing, that the judgment debtor uh, might have. And, and oh, by the way, let me just mention, by the term judgment debtor, I mean the defendant. Uh, once you win in court against the defendant you're suing, uh, and you get a money judgment against that uh, defendant, we commonly refer to the defendant after that point as the judgment debtor, because that's what they are. There's been a judgment and they're the debtor. So we're, the, the, that, that's who we're talking about here. Now, what is a lien? A lien, L-I-E-N, a lien is a legally recognized charge on, on property. One example that most people are, are familiar with is a mortgage or a deed of trust. Yet another is uh, a prop, our property tax liens. The, these, are, these are charges against real property in this instance uh, that uh, stay on the property. You can file or record, depending upon the, 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 the jurisdiction you're in, the state you're in, a judgment lien uh, based on your judgment in, in, on real property. And at least in California, you can also do it on business property, such as equipment, so that there's a, there's a lien. Judgment liens on real prop, uh, property, real estate, are recorded in California in the uh, office of the county recorder. Now, other states have a similar type of office, but it has a different name. Sometimes it's called the Register of Deeds. Uh, there's other names for that, but basically it, it, it's the place uh, in the county where people record uh, real property documents. For example, if you want to sell real estate, you have to uh, prepare a deed. It's the office where the deed is recorded. It's the same place. Uh, in in, in the, the case of real property judgment liens, that lien stays on the property for as long as the judgment is effective. In California, that, that time period is 10 years. So if you get a, a judgment against somebody uh, in, in, in this year, in 2012, it's going to be until 2022 until uh, that judgment, or during which time that judgment is still effective as a lien on the property. And if the, the judgment debtor should buy real estate uh, in, in the county where you record, the lien attaches to that property, too. It doesn't have to be property that was already there. Now, here's, here's what you do after you record your, your judgment lien, okay? You prepare this lien, it's issued by the court, and then it's recorded. Here's what you do. The silence means nothing. You don't do a darn thing. Like a spider in a web, you wait. You bide your time. And during this time, you're not spending any money. You don't have to have anybody do anything. You simply wait because you're on the real estate records. What, what happens commonly, Cindy, is that one day, out of the blue, you get a letter from some escrow company you never heard of asking for what's called a payoff figure. That just means how much money is due on the debt and how much is due, therefore, on your judgment. And the reason that you got that letter is that the judgment debtor is trying to sell his real estate or refinance his real estate in the county in which your judgment lien was recorded. He has to pay your debt off at that point if he wants to successfully refi or sell his property. Now, here, here's why. Here's what's going on behind the scenes that you may not know about. You see, the title company found this judgment lien that you recorded, and it won't issue title insurance on the property sale unless that lien is paid. This is a fantastic way to get paid, although it can take years to come about. I, I had one case uh, once where it took us eight years uh, to finally get paid, but eventually I got a, I got a letter from an escrow. Uh, this guy had been a resident of uh, one of the desert counties. It might have been uh, San Bernardino or Riverside, uh, one of those counties. And in, in, it took ten years for the... Um, 
uh, this, this guy to either resell or refinance the property. The title company found the uh, the lien, and I got a letter saying, Mr. Cohn, how much money does your client need? Now, the, the beautiful part of this is that in California, judgments accrue interest at 10%. Now, you tell me where else you can get 10% today, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll be impressed with essentially no risk. And that's what this is. So the, the judgment plus all of the interest at 10% per annum every year for those eight years was the amount of the demand, and they paid it. Okay, well, you know, um, we're about to take another commercial break. I think that my listeners might be interested to know, and I know um, you you know, you practice in the state of California, how, you know, this might differ. And this is, you could go on a very, very general level when you go state to state, because a lot of my listeners really do understand that, um, you know, there's laws across the nation and that they differ state to state. And I'm getting some questions about that. So let's take a break and then we will continue um, about collections. And again, just only a general response about how things might differ. Don't go away. We'll have more when Ron Kong comes back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media trainings. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of PR Public Relations. Cindy Rakowitz. Listen, this is a fascinating show. If you missed the first couple of segments, please go back to the beginning and you'll learn about how to collect money. If you're frustrated in this economy and you have people that owe you money, this is a very, very informative show with creditors' rights lawyer Ronald R. 
Cohen. Ronald, in um, the last segment, I know that I kind of threw you a curveball, but we get, you know, questions from listeners while we're on Skype. And um, even though I don't have them come on the show to take away your valuable time, um, how does this vary, in, you know, state to state? Yeah, I mean, most states, from my experience, have similar procedures. Now, there's 50 states in the union. I'm only licensed in California, so I can't speak authoritatively about other states. But I have dealt with other attorneys uh, from time to time in other states, and most of the methods that I'm discussing exist in these other states. Uh, the, the specifics may may be different, uh, but but there, there's there's always something in the law that is directed towards the procedures for getting paid. It's really the nuts and the bolts of the law, and there's there are always similar methods in those states. Uh, you'd have to speak with an attorney licensed in that state, of course, to get the details. Now, let me just throw out a couple of things, generally speaking. Um, in, in my experience, there are a couple of states where uh, they are ex- exceptionally debtor-friendly. Those two states are going to be Florida and Texas. Uh, Texas is a state that was founded by debtors, and the laws historically have favored uh, debtors quite a bit. Uh, and so there may be limitations. Again, I can't give you specifics because I'm not licensed there. Uh, but if you're talking to a Texas attorney, he can fill you in. Don't be surprised if there are limitations uh, to methods of judgment enforcement there. Uh, the other state, Florida, uh, if, you, if you think about it, there's a lot of um, celebrities that move there and wealthy people. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. One of it is that it tends to be a, de- a debtor-friendly state, and the other is the what are called exemptions. Uh, we haven't discussed this yet. Uh, an exemption, or better stated, an exempt asset, uh, is, is, a, is, a, is money or a thing which the uh, law allows the debtor to keep and cannot be taken from him. For example, in California, there's an, an exemption for tools of the trade. If a uh, carpenter owes, let's say, ten thousand dollars, excuse me, um, on, on, a, on a judgment, and you're looking for assets to seize and to levy upon to satisfy that judgment, you cannot take his tools of the trade. Uh, uh, the first fifteen hundred bucks or dollars or, or so forth of, of, of his cash cannot be taken. And there, there are many, many other exemptions. Some of them change by time. There's a homestead exemption. Uh, they change over time in nature and amount. Uh, but the reason for these exemptions is public policy. We don't want families so destitute that they're eating out of garbage cans and uh, living in alleys. So they're allowed to keep uh, some of the uh, some of the assets that they have. Tools of the trade is obvious. You don't want to take away the ability of a person to earn a living, so they let him keep his tools at least up to a certain dollar amount. Um, those those are those are the comments I can make about uh, the different states. There will always be methods of judgment enforcement. The the the, the precise uh, um, uh, circumstances and precise differences that should be taken up with counsel in those states. All right. Well, no, that's understood. We just wanted kind of a general, you know, you know, a general comment. And now there are other methods of collecting. Obviously, you were talking about liens, but why don't you talk about those other methods? And the other thing I just want to say, Ron, if you are able to stay on the phone till the end of the hour, I think that we're going to need the four segments to get through the show. Are you able to do that? Yes, I am, Cindy. Okay, fantastic. My engineer heard that as well. Okay, so why don't you talk about other methods? Well, let's go through Any- a couple of them. Okay. Uh, one of them uh, is is called a, a wage levy. That That's pretty much self-explanatory. Um, depending upon the circumstances, if you have a judgment debtor who's working, you can tap into, uh, by using the correct judicial process, uh, his wages. Now, the amount you can take out of a, a worker's paycheck is regulated not just by state law, Cindy, but in this instance also by federal law. Uh, apparently the federal government at, at some point believed there were, there were abuses going on, 
and you can only take 25% of the take-home uh, amount of his pay. Uh, that's, that's the maximum by federal law you can get. But still, I, I've used this method numerous times and have found that um, it, it works very well. It gets the, uh, the debtor's attention, that's for sure. It's embarrassing for him because he, he's, he knows that his employer and their staff are, are aware uh, that he owes money and has judgments outstanding. Uh, they have to process paperwork in order to uh, comply with the, the wage levy process. Uh, what's, what the process is specifically is called an earnings withholding order in, in California, uh, and, and uh, it's, it's a method of getting paid that works pretty well. There are, are numerous other methods. Let's take one or two more. Um, you can you can seize business inventory um, if if a if a company owes you money and the company has inventory. Think of a liquor store, think of uh, a parts uh, store. It is possible to obtain process to seize the inventory. Uh, the sheriff will then conduct a sale, and the net proceeds of sale will go towards satisfaction of the judgment. Uh, the um, there are also ways that this is a little off subject, but there there are ways to obtain securities. Uh, there are ways to conduct uh, a sale of real estate. In California, it, it's, it's difficult uh, to sell under what's called writ of execution, to, to sell uh, a family home. It's, it's very difficult, but it can be done. Uh, vacant land can be sold, other improved property. Uh, you have to jump through a few hoops, but it, it can be done. And there are still other ways, even more esoteric, that, that can be used to obtain money uh, from, um, uh, from property of the, of the judgment debtor. Okay, well, you know, we thank you for sharing that. On a different subject, what do you do? Um, you know, you, what do you do when a judgment against a delinquent borrower or customer and you try to collect, but then you find out the judgment debtor doesn't seem to have any property at all, yet he's driving a nice car, living in an upscale neighborhood, going out to ball games, taking expensive vacations, eating in expensive restaurants, but has no visible source of income or money. I think we go back to the bowling alley situation, but I think you have more to say. You know, what's going on? It seems very, very unfair. Um, we don't want anybody to be destitute, although I think that if somebody robs somebody, you know, <laughs> that's not the law. It's just my moral opinion. You're um, right. But um, and I understand that the law is a law. But you know, you watch somebody that's living the high life, and they're owing people money. What's going on here? Well, the situation that you describe quite possibly could be what's called a fraudulent transfer. Um, always suspect a fraudulent convan- uh, a transfer when you have facts such as you described. Uh, the judgment debtor doesn't seem to have anything in his name. You, you, you look at the title records and in, in the in property records; he's not there. Uh, you, you check at, at DMV records if, if they're available in your state. <clears throat> you can't seem to find anything there. Uh, he doesn't seem to be employed, yet he's got plenty of dough and he's, he's living the high life. Indeed, as you ask, what's going on? Well, a fraudulent transfer, what, what is that? Well, it's a situation where a judgment debtor has deliberately placed his assets out of his name in order to prevent his creditors from being able to reach them. It's one of the oldest gimmicks in the world. Um, there were there. I mean, there are there are old English cases decided in the 15 and 1600s uh, that deal with the subject. <clears throat> and you know, you're right, uh, Cindy. It is extraordinarily unfair and outrageous uh, for somebody to owe money like that and yet continue to to hide assets, put assets out of his name, uh, so that there's nothing that the creditor can seemingly do. Uh, it's it is unfair and outrageous. But the sad reality is that until you, as the judgment creditor, do something about it, you put energy into it. Uh, he's going to continue and go right on doing what he's been doing all along. 
Well, one a common type of fraudulent transfer that you, you, you see a lot is where the judgment debtor, let's assume it's a husband <clears throat> in this example, places ownership of his assets in the name of his, of his wife. Now, this is a pretty blatant one, but it, it, um, uh, it, it happens all the time. Uh, here's all he has to do. He has to pick up a, a form quitclaim deed <clears throat> from a stationary store, fill it out, uh, pay a fee to have it recorded, uh, right on there that that he's transferring any interest he has in his family home to his wife, records it, and voila, no more home in his name. That's a fraudulent transfer. Uh, we're assuming, of course, that the wife didn't pay any money for the, the the fair value of this property, and that the the debtor did this deliberately to uh, throw off his creditors. Um, that is a, a a classic fraudulent transfer. It'll look on the real property records that he owns no real estate. Now. Cindy, fortunately, there do exist ways to keep this guy in our example from getting away with it and to reach the, imp the improperly transferred uh, property to satisfy uh, the client's judgment. Uh, the specifics of exactly how to do this and how to attack fraudulent transfers is a bit complicated because the law is complicated in this area. And frankly, it's way beyond the scope of this program. You know, I could, Cindy, I could do two or three entire shows just on, on the subject of, of fraudulent transfers. The takeaway, I think, for the audience is, though, to, to know that there do exist ways in the law to deal with fraudulent transfers and to hold these, these slimy people uh, accountable. I, I also want to point out another th one other thing. Uh, fraudulent transfers will not work in bankruptcy court. In other words, if a, if a, if a, if a, a, a judgment debtor uh, makes fraudulent transfers and then tries to seek refuge in bankruptcy court, the bankruptcy trustee can attack those fraudulent transfers. So if a judgment debtor makes a fraudulent transfer and then tries to get away with it by filing for bankruptcy, he's made the wrong decision. He's probably made things worse for himself. And he's dead wrong. He's, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna, there's gonna be a day of competence. He is not going to get away with it. All right, well, listen, we covered a lot in this segment. We have to take another commercial break. Um, I don't know if we're going to get through everything that we discussed in this on this topic, in this show. Like you said, there's a number of different shows that can be had on this subject matter. It's very, very in-depth. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to take our last commercial break. We're going to ask you to summarize the presentation, and I think that there's a lot of media information that people take away here. So listen, um, don't go away. Come back and hear more from Ron Cohn and learn how to collect your money. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn 
saleability into profitability with the help of BR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.brpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. BR Public Relations. We do it all. www.brpublicrelations.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not. But she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. We're back and then we're in our last segment and I really want to encourage people to download this show. You're going to be looking up how to collect money, you know, through a Google search and this is where you can find out some answers. I mean, creditors rights attorney Ronald Arcone is, you know, the knowledge base in this area and I'm, we're very, very impressed with your entertaining chock full of information that you're providing to us here on Voice America. Ron, you. you mentioned that there were things a creditor should not do. Can you tell us what a creditor should not do? Yes, I'd be glad to, and it's it's a good question, and it's something I think we need to get out there. The, the most important thing is not to try and enforce the judgment yourself. For example, I'll give you three things not to do. Uh, well, even four things not to do. The first is uh, do not threaten the judgment debtor in any way, uh, like threatening to run his to ruin his credit, uh, threatening to tell others not to do business with him, anything like that. Now, I understand human nature, and that. People who are owed money and aren't getting paid are upset and, and even angry, and they want satisfaction. But my my uh, uh, my, my uh, suggestion is to lie down until the urge goes away, because you're you're just going to get yourself in trouble. Uh, do not uh, uh, do things like that. You're just going to create a claim back against you. The second thing is do not use any form of self-help. I, I've seen some incredibly dumb things that people have done again out of anger. Uh, don't go on to the judgment debtor's property. Don't go to his place of business. Don't seize stuff and, and property saying, you know, I'm going to take this and hold it against uh, uh, what you owe me. Uh, that's probably a crime. Uh, you're just going to get yourself in trouble. Don't do it. The third thing is you have to be careful to some extent about what you say about the judgment debtor so you don't mistakenly defame him. And if you do that, if you defame this guy and, and the, the facts break uh, in such a way that there's defamation and some kind of damages, well, you inadvertently just handed this, this uh, deadbeat a claim he can then assert back against you. The best advice I can give you in this scenario is let your lawyer do your talking for you. Don't even have anything to, to, uh, to do with this uh, judgment debtor. Don't talk to him and ne- never visit him. Finally, the fourth thing, it should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, Avoid any sort of physical or, God forbid, violent confrontation. All that's going to happen is you're going to go to jail. There's going to be all kinds of civil claims that can be brought against you, and you're not going to get paid anyway at the end of the day. Don't do it. 
Well, these are very, very good points, and I hope people are listening. This is a place where a lawyer should definitely be involved because you That's really right. outlined you really outlined um, how you could hurt yourself. And you're right; it's a very emotional issue. Money is always emotional. Um, I, I would imagine that people do things like say things in email, and that can all be held, you know, as evidence in a court of law. So of let your lawyer uh, if do you, it. If you put anything threatening into an email, you know how it works. Email, Cindy, it's there forever. It's going to get, get it's going to get printed out. Uh, somebody uh, is so uh, inclined, they could go down to the uh, uh, city attorney or district attorney or whatever the prosecutorial office in your state is, and and throw out a criminal complaint against you. It could be it could be a terrorist threat. Seems like everything today is a terrorist threat. <laughs> innoc- yeah, the most innocuous statements. So oh, I think you're right. You're yeah, right, you're, so. you're you know, remember th- this person knows that uh, he's got uh, that you have him over a barrel, and if he can find any way to try and mitigate that. Uh, by creating some kind of a claim that has any kind of color at all, colorable claim, he's going to do it. So don't help him uh, uh, hurt you by doing or saying dumb things. All right, listen, we want to talk about, you mentioned bankruptcy before. Suppose a judgment debtor files for bankruptcy. Is there any recourse? What can a judgment creditor do? I mean, you know, anything the judgment creditor can do. Let's um, wrap up in this last segment by talking about this important subject. Sure. Cindy, I'll give you uh, every lawyer's favorite answer to the question you asked, and the answer is this. It depends. <laughs> the, right, right. Of course. Well, we understand that. We have a lot of lawyers on the show, so we're used right. to it. <laughs> uh, here, here's how it works. Generally speaking, if a person falls on hard times and files for a Chapter 7 liquidation bankruptcy, it's game over. The debtor will get a, it was called a discharge of his debts, <laughs> and the creditors will get some part of their claim, best case, or nothing at all, worst case, uh, in, a, in a context where there's no assets and where there is uh, what we call, actually call a, a no-asset case, no-asset case, um, the creditors will get nothing, the uh, debtor is discharged, and that's the end of it. Uh, th- that's the way it works for the honest but unfortunate debtor. The, this, the system provides a, a uh, relief valve and a way out, uh, and... Um, uh, people who are, are oppressed by, by debts can file the bankruptcies and discharge them. But that's for the honest but unfortunate debtor. If the debtor, on the other hand, has done something wrong, Cindy, there may be a whole lot of things a creditor can do. And, and people, people oftentimes mistakenly think that just because bankruptcy got filed by their judgment debtor, that, it, that, that there's nothing they can do. It's not true. For example... As we say here, if something wrong was done, if the debtor has defrauded the creditor, or if the the debtor deliberately destroyed the creditor's property before bankruptcy, the debt may be what we call non-dischargeable. Um, the, the bankruptcy law, for example, as I said earlier, will will uh, help honest but unfortunate debtors. But dishonest debtors, it won't help, and it provides many many ways that a creditor can pursue the debtor, even in bankruptcy court. Even though the debtor's filed for bankruptcy, where the debtor has done something dishonest or fraudulent, what you do is you bring a lawsuit proceedings right in the bankruptcy court, and you get a judgment, if you prevail, against the judgment debtor that cannot be discharged in bankruptcy. And what that means in the real world is that this, the, the debt that you, you obtain through this, this judgment in bankruptcy court will continue, continue to be valid and enforceable, notwithstanding the fact that there was a bankruptcy. So uh, the, the fraud can take the form of any number of things. One of the most common things you see, especially with my lender clients, is the debtor providing the lender with a fraudulent or for, false financial statement 
which was given to the creditor lender in order to induce the creditor to, to extend the credit. So uh, a dishonest person uh, wants a loan of $50,000. They provide fabricated or untrue information in their financial statement. <clears throat> the financial statement is given to the bank. The bank looks at it and relies upon it and makes the credit advance, lends them the money. And it turns out later on that the uh, financial statement was materially false, either by overstating assets or, or what I see a lot of the time is understating liabilities. <clears throat> either way, the... the um, net worth is going to look higher than it really is, uh, that is a basis for filing a, a complaint for non-dischargeability of debt. And depending upon uh, the circumstances, a, a, uh, a complaint for non-dischargeability of debt can be filed right on a bankruptcy case. Uh, in, in, um, uh, another type would be a, a garden variety of, of fraud, what we call common law fraud, a false promise or material omission with no intent to perform. In these cases, and in many others set forth in the bankruptcy code, uh, you might be able to recover money and a judgment even though the debtor is in bankruptcy. Another example is willful destruction of property. If somebody uh, deliberately, let's say, uh, for no reason and, and for no justifiable reason, uh, hits you in the face and you sustain damages uh, and, 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 and money, and just because he's just mean, he decides to hit you, that is a non-dischargeable uh, judgment. Uh, if he decides to destroy property, uh, and, and it's improper. That also is a grounds for getting a non-dischargeable judgment. Cindy, in truth, bankruptcy law is a vast, huge area, and there are potentially many, many other scenarios where a recovery could be had or a non-dischargeable judgment obtained. Or there's another thing, too, called object, uh, objecting to discharge with its own set of grounds that might be brought to bear. The point here and the takeaway is don't just assume you can't get paid anything just because the debtor filed for bankruptcy. Uh, talk to me or talk to your attorney first. There could be a whole lot of things you can do. Uh, I think that's good advice. Um, we're going to continue to talk about um, other ways that, you know, other times where you might have to give up. But first, because the show is going by quickly, I want people to know where to reach you so that we have that in this show before we get cut off. So why don't you talk that, about Cindy. where people can get in touch with you? Okay. I, I remember I help lenders uh, and businesses get paid on business debts. I can be reached uh, by several different ways. The first is by telephone. Uh, it's 818-591-2121. Again, 818-591-2121. I'm also reachable by email, uh, which is rcohn, R-C-O-H-N, at horganrosen.com. That's the law firm I'm with. Uh, Horgan Rosen is spelled H-O-R-G-A-N-R-O-S-E-N. Arcone at horganrosen.com. If you're driving on the uh, on the freeway or, or you're in the in the shower or the bathtub and you can't write that down, uh, I'm on LinkedIn under Ronald Arcone. I'm also uh, it can be reached or found on Avo. And if that fails, just do an internet search. I checked it myself under my own name and I come up pretty quickly. Ronald Arcone. Remember, there's no e in my name. It's Ronald Arcone. C O H N. Finally. Uh, the State Bar of California has my uh, 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 contact data. Uh, they're found at www.calbar.ca.gov. Okay, well, now we know where to get in touch with you, and we have a couple of minutes to close. So what I want to say to you, with all of the wonderful content that you've provided, um, why don't you summarize in closing what's most important about your messages? The most important takeaway from this whole thing is don't don't give up. Don't assume you can't get paid just because 
A, the, the, the judgment debtor is a jerk and, and, and won't pay you and is mean, uh, or number two, B, says he's broke, or number three, you don't know about any of his assets. Uh, I or, or other attorneys who handle uh, judgment enforcement uh, know ways to find out what the truth is. We can find out if the judgment debtor is really destitute or whether he's just saying he is and putting on an act. We can find uh, hidden assets oftentimes. We can find transferred uh, assets many times. We can find out what's going on, and the law provides me and us with a full panoply of options and means and methods of looking to make sure that we leave no stone unturned in finding money uh, and then proceeding to be able to, um, uh, to, uh, to collect and get cash and to satisfy that judgment. I also want to point out real fast um, a disclaimer. Um, uh, Cindy, my comments are uh, not legal advice. Uh, we're discussing this as a matter of general discussion only. I wanted to get that lawyer stuff in there. Well, that's okay. I think that um, we know that you're being interviewed for a show, and these are just you're just sharing, you know, your expertise on a topic. So if I, people want to, you know, go ahead and do something, they shouldn't just go ahead and do it. You you emphasize that really, really clearly. I think in the third segment, anyway. So uh, you don't want to go out there and and you, and you self help or try to enforce the judgment. Uh, there's going to be emotions running high. There's going to be grudges. There's going to be bad feelings. Uh, especially when you have smaller businesses where the, the debtor and the creditor know each other. It's not quite the same dynamic with, with large banks. It, it's a little less personal. But when you, you have uh, companies that, that sell goods or provide services, uh, there may be a lot of money that's not being paid, and there could be a, a, a personal uh, grudge. Don't go out there and try doing it yourself. You're just going to get in trouble. No, really. Go ahead and call Ronald R. Cohen, and all the information is provided in this fourth segment. I really want to thank you, Ron, for you know spending an hour with us and providing such relellevant, useful information and entertaining. You're a very, very good radio guest. So well, thank, thank you, you very, very much, much, Cindy. It's a pleasure to be here, and, and the, the pleasure is all mine. Okay, well, everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you next week, and um, we're going to have some coverage as we get closer to the elections, talking with professionals from CNN and Fox News, etc., talking about um, how the media is influencing the elections and how social media is influencing the elections as well. So keep tuning in to Stars of PR, and everybody have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American idol. I've got synthetic missile. I kill my mother to get on the TV screen. I am a death row psycho.